Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I have, of course, your host, Michael Sherlock. And as we know, all month long, we are trying to remember to stay flexible. And not just in our mindset, but really in our whole persona, I think, to be able to handle whatever comes at us. And this guest today, I think her story is so fascinating. You're going to love it. And talk about remaining flexible, even though in the beginning she had a plan for herself. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Rebecca Smith was earning her PhD, ready to begin a career in academia, in film academia. And she had her plan out. She had her life all mapped out. But one day she was at a conference and she was listening to somebody who was talking about how much they love this wonderful life of academia. And she's like, uh, I don't think so. Maybe that's not my passion to teach film. But right then at the same time, she was working with a horror festival in Wales. She was traveling all over Europe to, uh, with film festivals. She was helping recruiting filmmakers. And all of those people were asking her things. They were, you know, picking her brain, asking her for knowledge. So she was sharing ideas and tips. And she realized one day, ding, 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 maybe there's a business <laughs> in this. And those filmmakers not only asked and took her advice, but, you know, they loved what she was doing as well. And so she did turn it into a business. When she became, uh, when she actually jumped into this fully, she ultimately became recognized worldwide as, get this title, the Film Festival Doctor. You know, of all the titles people get, I think this one's so much fun. And she was an innovation in her field and her company has won more than five, 800, not 500, 800 awards for her clients. And she has supported 850 creatives to achieve their filmmaking dreams. So those of you who have some dreams about this, you might be uh, um, really wanting to pay attention and probably follow up. But it wasn't all like a movie, <laughs> although there's a happy ending. <laughs> or a happy current, you know, along the way, she made some mistakes. She, you know, had some sputters, some, you know, stumbles along the way until she finally listened to somebody who gave her some great business advice, which really propelled her forward. And so I know we'll talk today also about her book that is called Born to Do It, Becoming a Leader of in a Business Niche, Becoming a Leader of a Business Niche Using Powerful Spiritual Techniques. And she wants to help you from making some of the same mistakes she did and helping pro, uh, promote you to success as well. So Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That was a lovely intro. Really nice to be here. And it's, uh, it's very exciting now the book is going to be getting out there. So thank you for that lovely intro. Oh, it is so much fun. And the uh, the first time you put a book out, it is so exciting. And then the mm. second time you book, put a book out, you're like, okay. <laughs> one of my Here we go again. <laughs> Here we go again. Exactly. I'll just warn you on that one. But congratulations. And I love so much of your bio. So I couldn't, you know, help but hit a lot of the highlights. But, you know, kind of I want to I want to learn a little bit more about you and have you tell us about you, your business, um, how you help people to shock your potential. And 
ultimately, uh, you know, about this whole career, you know, in filmmaking in a lot of variety of ways, because I bet there's a lot of people going, wow, I've always been interested in that, but I never knew how someone even got started. So tell us a little bit about your journey. So it all happened, as you quite right, rightly said, by accident. I mean, I was actually one thing I, I realized that when I had that aha moment, as you mentioned in the academia conference, which was the, you know, isn't this the best thing in the world? And I thought, actually, no, it's not for me, was because people had told me what I should be doing with myself and my career. And I realized that when I began to produce the film festival that you mentioned, Abattoir Horror Festival, this actually is, is what I want to do. It's me coming alive. This is my sole purpose that has suddenly now come to the, the forefront. So it all kind of happened like literally unexpectedly, as you said. So my plan or what I thought I should be doing through asking people's advice, what they think I should do with my life um, for, their, for their own gain, not, not for mine, was um, working in the world, world of academia. So teaching, lecturing in film studies and my PhD, mm -hmm. it's a really good PhD. I really enjoyed doing the PhD. It was like, you know, it was work. It was a job, but it was a PhD on Quentin Tarantino looking at how his fans respond emotionally to his films. So it was a really oh. good, interesting PhD. I really did enjoy that. And then it was a very exciting process. I found that it was a lot of writing. It's a lot of work to yourself. You're in a room a lot. So I hadn't really had much social interaction apart from people that are doing PhDs as well, but they were having time alone to write theirs. So my friend Gaz, who is one of the nicest people in the world, he said to me, uh, I've been asked to produce a horror film festival um, by the by the film council in Wales in the UK. He said, do you want to help out? And I was like, yeah, why not? Something to do gets me out of the house. So this right. hobby this hobby job or this like thing to pass the time whilst I was really doing it and really getting involved in it was actually what I should be doing with my life. This was my sole purpose. This is what I was born to do. I actually mm. came alive during the festival and we started to produce it when we were working together on it and with the whole team and meeting filmmakers. I just felt like me and I never felt that before in a very long time in, in a career context it was really interesting so I thought hang on I've, something's happened there's a bit of a shift and then the idea of my business came about through that festival because I love speaking to filmmakers and hanging out with them and you know obviously doing the parties that you do at film festivals and they always said you know we love doing this we love coming to festivals we love seeing our film on the big screen having a laugh getting drunk it's so much fun but we actually don't know how to get our film into a film festival or get our film seen. We're just hoping for the best by going online and going on the, the portals. We actually don't know who to turn to or to ask to get our film into festivals to help strategize. And I was like, well, there we go, a light bulb moment, because I knew how to do that through my experience doing the festivals. So I could help those filmmakers. That was what my gift was. And that all came about by accident. <laughs> Just by, and, and following your hobby. I mean, I love that. I love how I wrote down like the hobby became my sole purpose, but yeah. I think it's, it's such a great sto story because it's about being aware of what you're doing in your free time that does give you joy and, and asking yourself, is there something about this that may be more than just a hobby and not, you know, it doesn't have to be, but what a great wake up call to merge your actual education training and, and, you know, PhD with a part of the, the business continuum that you love. Exactly. It was. I mean, the PhD helped me a lot. It wasn't just something that mm -hmm. just was, I did it. The PhD actually helped me figure out how to find the gap in the market. 
and the mm -hmm. niche because I didn't I didn't have any business skills I had obviously academic skills I had background in you know being a personal assistant so I had all of that which was really useful but the PhD just helped me took it one step further to really get it into a very organized system and a, and a proper business so yeah it did and I'm really grateful for the PhD always will be um, but it just wasn't for me and uh, but unfortunately my supervisor couldn't see that so he was very much like why do you want to do the academia because obviously that's his <laughs> gift that's his sole purpose that's what he does so right. he doesn't work in the film industry it's a very different industry the two of them are like chalk and cheese like academia is you've got fun people and you've got great people but it is very different to filmmaking and film production and, and film distribution the whole lot it's just a whole different kettle of fish um mm -hmm. so you can't compare the two at all uh, you know the evil naughty sisters kind of thing um, <laughs> <laughs> um but what i saw was this um, was filmmakers making fantastic films in the independent film world but not getting them out there was quite uh, quite sad and obviously my supervisor didn't see it but then he understood it as time went on and saw the success it had so that was good um, but you just know when it's not your right path when you just aren't connected to source and also the the project that you're doing because uh, it got to the point where I was enjoying the PhD don't get me wrong but it right. felt like work it felt like work not like horrendous but just it felt it was a challenge whereas with the festival everything finds a place effortlessly and I could literally just get involved in it for hours we did like 16 hour days and don't know where the time has gone and just immersion <laughs> was natural well and i think it's a great reminder because people are always asking me um you know career advice and i i now have this following of actually younger people which is great they're like what should i get my degree in and i always say it doesn't matter because unless you're going to become a doctor, so you're going to go to medical school to become a doctor, and it still doesn't mean you can't turn around and be an actor. I mean, we have, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, or you're becoming a lawyer to become a lawyer, you know, you're probably more set in a course, but my degree is in education. And I started out as a teacher and I taught one year and I thought, I don't want to teach in the school system, yeah. but I didn't say, oh my gosh, what else am I going to do? It's the only thing I'm trained for. I said, how else can I use this degree? And, you know, so today I'm a teacher in a different way because I teach leadership and sales and professional development. So I took my degree and I made it work for me. And your background with that, it doesn't, I think it's really a great lesson to remind you just because you have a PhD doesn't mean that academia is the only path for you. That that knowledge alone, the, those credentials behind you, the hard work it put also gave you so much more information and you could use that as you evolved your, your journey as well. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, and one thing the PhD helps you really do is organize is time management and organization because you've got so mm -hmm. many books you have to read and to really uh, streamline and focus them into a kind of like collating what they all say and what the patterns are. So you have to like really get, tie everything in and rein it all in. So there's really good skills there for project management big time. So when with, with my uh, colleagues who work with me, they're all brilliant. And they're very good um, at putting in thing into our system. So I have a very organized system in place, which is through learning how to break everything down to bite-sized chunks with loads of books in academia and how to read a book a different way to other people might do. And that can translate quite well with the business, actually, um, believe it or not. But also it helps you like really home in on your niche, because one of the things we mentioned in the book is you really have to identify and home into your niche, because obviously or niche, sorry, but niche, niche. That's okay, niche, niche, <laughs> niche potato, niche. potato. Yeah, same thing. Um, 
so one of the things actually that is important is um, you've got to figure out, you know, if your niche can work as a business, obviously, if there's a market for it. And people right. did say to me when I went to the Cannes Film Festival the first time in 2010, had this idea for the business and people were very positive, like, oh, yes, well, it does sound very good on paper, but you've got no mm. one else to really compare this to or like a winning model. So you might mm -hmm. have to work for free to show this works because no one really knows what this is at the moment there mm -hmm. aren't many of you around it's probably like a there's probably like two or three and they weren't doing it full time like you want to do so you might have to you know bring this into the uk quite carefully and you know drip feed or show you can do it but work for free because it's something where there is no track record you can't compare it but clearly there's a market because people want it but you gotta right. figure out trial and error prices the system it all come together but it'll be put a lot of hard work in that respect but you will get there eventually which I did so that was important because then that helped me break down the whole business and figure out you know what I wanted the business to look like and also with the niche so um, I work in the area of film distribution so that's, that's a niche in itself but then it's always important to really laser focus your areas of expertise with mine being the film festival distribution so again a not obviously very niche it's the same like with any niche like you know like for example social media that's a big mm -hmm. niche so then you figure out which is your best angle are you more equipped to help people grow the business on instagram or make video content for linkedin there's many like minor niches there that you're going to be the best yeah. at there's going to be a market somewhere it's about research but i'm grateful that i know how to um take you know break down a business to make it something that is marketable and has an audience now, so I know that you, you know, got this kind of aha moment at a horror film festival. Yeah. Did you stay within that niche or did you broaden out and, and just keep it from the film festival as a whole? So I stuck within the niche of horror at first. So I've so producing festivals, I stick to the horror genre just with abattoir. Mm -hmm. Then when I moved to London, because I, I was in a place called Wales in UK. So that is a long way away from London, you know, about four and a half hour minimum drive, probably even seven mm -hmm. to certain parts of London. Um, so it's not a commutable distance, but it's a very different area of the world to live in. It's, mm -hmm. it's very different. It's quite a shock. Um, so I had, I couldn't, Bill and business being in Wales I had to be in events and be there and, and be around with it and have the brand out there so I had to move um, so when I moved to London I then got the business up and running um, but it was a bit of a challenge at first because it was a different area so it was also a different place to be mm -hmm. um, so it was very having to adjust very quickly and then put everything together but I certainly had um in my head an idea of what I wanted the business to be and it was hard to articulate it at first because I didn't know what to really say because I had no business training and the PhD mm -hmm. always saved me and the, and the sole purpose saved me because I knew exactly what the passion was and that shone through which helped people believe and trust in me. Right, right. Wow. So as you got better at this and got to the point where you didn't have to give your services away for free, yeah. <laughs> Because I know that that's, you know, in the speaker world, you know, that's kind of the same thing. People are like, oh, that's great. You're a speaker. You know, there's lots of other speakers. Mm. So you better do as much as you can for free when you can. The challenge with that um, from speakers, at least it has been for me and others that I've spoken with is, is at that point where you finally say, I, I'm not speaking for free anymore. <laughs> I've got to earn a living. Yeah. And how you adjust people's mindset to make the shift with you, especially if there's somebody that you've, you know, you've worked with for a little bit. So how did you, how did you successfully make that transition? That took a lot of time, but it was built upon the branding of the business 
and also um, being present and being able to really talk about how I would help people and solve their problems. Mm -hmm. So the beginning, it was hard because I didn't have any business training, but it helped a lot. And it turned the business turnaround overnight when I met my business strategist, Jolanda Milioto. She's actually got two chapters in my book because she literally is, she was a lifesaver. So whereas I was remembering like my structure, my clients in my head, and I wasn't, had no, no system in place. I didn't know how to do a sales pitch. She literally overnight told me where it was all going wrong. So it was, it was organized <laughs> to a degree. It was organized. It was, you know, I had a system in place and I was remembering things, but I was doing quite, quite stressful. So I was trying just to really articulate what I wanted to say to people. And she said, no, you need to really um, work on your sales pitch because what you're guilty of, and everyone is guilty of this in the beginning, mm -hmm. is when you're talking about your business, wanting to like close a deal and sell yourself to them and build that trust and rapport, is that the worst thing to do is just to throw information at a potential mm -hmm. client. You really yeah. need to let them talk like 80% of the time and you talk 20% of the time so that you yep. can then explain how you will solve their problem. And when you do that, if you ask open-ended questions, you know, say, so what are the problems are you having with on the festival circuit with the film? They go, oh, well, we're getting no results. And they have a little question like, which festival have we sent it to? I'm like, oh, well, you're missing something here. There's a gap in your little market is that you're not selling at the mm -hmm. festivals, which are for short films. So for example, you know, doing all the wrong festivals, things like that. So the way is to, she said, you know, to really just keep talking to them, but let them lead. And you then ask yes. follow-ups and follow-ups and build this rapport that will gain trust because it shows your knowledge. Be calm when you do it. And then do your research as well before you meet them. The event you're going to, the people that could be there, just know what they are and know the background and it will help a lot. And it did. Like, I remember when she told me, I literally was, when I first met people, I didn't know how to, what to say. I, I'd say something like, oh, we get your film into a festival and do all the work for you. They'd be like, right. oh, how's that? So it just became convoluted <laughs> and and a bit, a bit confusing. I had to say it myself and summarize it all. Um, but then when I spoke with her, she told me how to break it down and how the system works was really helpful because it, it got me sales deals and it got people to really believe in the brand. And it helped me mm -hmm. say what I wanted to say very succinctly and in a way which got them hooked. Yes. So did, this is just a random question out of my own, you know, kind of just a from the side, from the, the perspective, because I've never been to a film festival and I don't know all the logistics about it. But let's say I'm an independent filmmaker and I get accepted at one of these film festivals. I'm assuming that then I go, I show up, I, I fund my whole self getting there, you know, and I, and I'm basically there praying that somebody's going to say, Hey, we like your film and we're going to pick it up or, you know, what's, what are the outcomes and what are the expenses for these filmmakers when they're at this stage? The outcomes tend to be what your goals are. So I always ask my clients is what do you want to achieve? from the festival circuit with your film and if they say networking then obviously it's great to go because you'll meet like-minded people if they mm -hmm. say winning awards then potentially yes if they want okay. to see on the big screen because they want to get feedback for instagram for their profile for their for, for them for not pride but their for, for branding they're all important mm -hmm. reasons to go and it can come it can get expensive if you go to the wrong ones or you don't budget so when mm -hmm. it comes to traveling to any festival as you mentioned yes it is predominantly it is from their own pocket some festivals can contribute towards accommodation depending on where you're traveling from mm -hmm. but generally you've got to think about money for obviously travel 
accommodation, but also subsidence. You've got to think about money to spend on food, drink. Do you have to hire a car? You're going to rely on Uber. Can you walk? Will it be metro? Will it be trains? Um, and also your festival passes. Um, mm -hmm. You have to buy them in advance to get them a bit cheaper. So it does add up. And we have to think of those key things. Because if you're going to a country like South Africa, that will be a lot cheaper than going somewhere like Tribeca in New York, which will be a fortune. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so, no kidding. It always depends upon where you want to go and where you can afford to go. So it's important to budget at the beginning and really think about, right, will this festival be able to help me achieve my goals? Has it got lots of networking? Yes. Are there industry uh, connections? Yes. Is there industry workshops? Yes. Well, there's a good start. It's worth the shot. People are going to be there who might be useful for, the, for me and to just be there for the film and promote it. So there's a lot of... I want to think about why you want to be there before you actually go, but also think about your budgets too is a crucial thing. And it's always good to think about them in the, in the beginning before the film's made, ideally. But if mm -hmm. it's not and it, when, it, when it's finished, that's fine. You can still work around it. But it's be very, very um, cutthroat and strict where you go and don't overspend to get the most out of the experience. Yeah, that's amazing. I've never really thought about it. It's it's always one of those things that, you know, I'm like, one day I will show up at the, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sundance. <laughs> Yeah, it's Sundance. Exactly. It's just a plane ride away for me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. It's not far. <laughs> and I'll just wander around. I have no need to be there whatsoever. But, you know, you never know who you might run into. I love it's it. Cold so, oh. It's cold there. It's cold at Sundance. It's a bit FYI. <laughs> yes, it definitely is. Absolutely. And just so you know, it at the, um, in, uh, at the, um, oh, Park City, the, um, at the Olympic area where they had the Olympics, uh, whatever year they were, they have a um, zip line. And I don't yep. know if it goes in the wintertime, but mm -hmm. I did that once. And it's at the same pitch as the Olympic ski jump, the big, big oh, ski jump. Wow. Yeah, that was my first ever zip line. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> it was a lot. It was, I was pretty terrified. And apparently like the first, you know, it only takes you about 45 seconds to get from the top of the mountain down. And the first five seconds, I screamed with pure terror. I was like, I'm going to die. Ooh, and then dear. when it levels off that first drop, I screamed with pure joy. And we got to the bottom. I mean, we'd waited in line for an hour to go down this thing. And when we got down, the guy at the bottom said, if we weren't about to close, I would pay to have you go do that again. <laughs> said, Everyone in the park stopped and listened to you. It's like, wow. Oh my God. It's like a showstopper. <laughs> It's oh, great. So next time I would suggest it. It's it's definitely fun. I don't definitely. I think it still goes in the winter. Um yeah, tell us real quickly before we kind of get into, you know, the near the end here. Tell us quickly a little bit about your book. What was your inspiration? I know most people just sometimes have a drive to put that out there, but tell us a little bit about your book and and why you wanted to put this uh, you know, for other people to use as a model. So again, another another story of totally out the blue, unexpected. <laughs> um, but during the pandemic, um, I became very inspired to write more. I launched a blog on my website. And also I was invited to um, talk about my story and share my story in an Indian book called Unique Positive Stories to Inspire You About Your Life Story. Oh. So I thought, well, that's nice. And also it was a very like in-depth, like like 10 page interview about everything. And wow. it's really in-depth. So I enjoyed writing that. And a publishing company read it. She was a colleague of mine from a while ago. And um, and she said, oh, have you ever thought about sharing your own story in your own book before? And she said, you know, have you ever thought about writing one because I'm a publisher? And I thought, not really. But then we had to talk about it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I see. This actually could be quite quite good to do because obviously I've written before with a PhD. I 
was a little bit at first that I don't really want to go back to writing so I've written a PhD and that was bad enough in long journey but then I knew how to write so I thought well I know how to write so I bet I can do this so I'm going to put myself to do it so we had a long conversation and also other people gave me feedback on the interview too and they were business owners and they all said that you helped me stay motivated during the pandemic and how to adapt my business during this time and your honesty and your story helped me reduce my fears and loneliness because you talked about you know when you're doing the PhD by yourself but also with the business too that it was all you running it being the head of the show and that's like when mm -hmm. the penny dropped I was like yes I'm going to write a book about my story but also how to fuse business practices and spiritual practices together um, so it's a book that shows people how to launch your first business and tap into your sole purpose using these essential techniques from business spirituality worlds so you can co-create the universe to make the, to make the business that you want um, so it all came together through again another journey I didn't know I had this book in me but it was there and I'm glad it's come out because I'm so proud of it and it's already helping people in the first week of release. So that's just what I wanted from it and it makes me so happy. We hope that you are enjoying this episode of Shock Your Potential. We're going to take a moment now to hear from our sponsor. Have you ever considered hiring a virtual assistant but didn't know where to start? Let Kukua Biz help. Kukua Biz matches talented professionals from Kenya with small businesses around the globe. Affordable weekly rates allow you to have a dedicated full-time staff member to help you with anything from administrative tasks, social media management, public relations, and more. Go to kukuabiz.com today for more information or email info at kukuabiz.com. Kukua Biz, that's K-U-K-U-A-B-I-Z.com. I love your story because you keep talking about, you know, things that just kind of out of the blue, but I think part of out of the blue is, you know, allowing our heads to turn and look around us and not always be focused, you know, in one area, which I think is really in line with my January theme of, you know, have a new, it's a new year, be real flexible in your focus. Don't, you know, don't, let's not get into the same things, places we were in 2020 thinking, okay, here's our plan. It's a game plan. It's going to be great. And then, oh no, everything's gone. Um, what what are your thoughts or suggestions for my listeners and viewers to keep that flexibility, to have kind of an agile mind, to look for those opportunities that might be out of the blue, but but you're seeing them because you are open to them? The one thing I would advise is now it's like, you know, New Year 2021, people are still probably in the, you know, the pandemic is still in the background. Um, but what the pandemic has taught us, everybody, is that you can't rely on anybody but yourself. And the whole job for life does not exist anymore. I don't think it ever has, but I think the pandemic is just bringing that up to the surface. Like you can't rely on that big corporate job forever because big corporate companies aren't, aren't always working now. Some people have to shut down. There's redundancies, layoffs, everything being fired. So what I would advise all of your listeners is um, it's important to combine both those practices that are the business practices of entrepreneurship, having a business, you know, like infrastructure as the basics, but also incorporating into that spiritual technique, as I mentioned in the book, is to think outside the box. So become mm -hmm. an entrepreneur that is one who thinks outside the box, um, because when you combine both together, you get that right balance. So mm -hmm. when you're on your own, at first for me, it was really scary because I didn't know those spiritual techniques at all that, that came on the journey when I was moved to London about a year into it. Then I began to open my mind more and I realized I can, how you co-create and I, my perception changed and then that mm -hmm. helped my business. 
and the trust and the faith comes together when you put them together so I would really say now is to be very very independent as you can be in your career and your personal life and when you do those things and put them all together and fuse them you'll feel so much more confident and you'll be able to remain resilient and grounded through the next challenge. Mm -hmm. I love it. Absolutely. Oh gosh, Rebecca, you have so much to offer. It's been, I could just interview you for hours and talk, (laughs) pick your brain on everything, but we'll have all your contact information on our show notes. But in case somebody wants to look you up right now, because they want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to find you? Uh, best way would be uh, my website, which is RebeccaLuisaSmith.com and also Instagram, which is at RebeccaFilmDR. Ooh, very good. Film, film doctor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Yes. One thing I would say really is do not give up because your sole purpose will never let you down. So always guide you in the right direction to where you need to be. Ask the universe to help tap into it if you need to, but really do not stop. Keep going forwards and remember that you're on the right path when you tune into your soul purpose. I love it. I just wrote down your soul purpose will never let you down. I never. couldn't agree more. Rebecca, thank you so much. What an honor to have uh, to been able to learn more from you. I am excited to stay connected. Thank you so much for being a guest with us today. Thank you. You've been wonderful. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.